Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. I don't really believe in the idea of marriage. I remember distinctly talking to my friend Dana, and she goes, well, you don't believe in marriage for you, but you, of course you believe in it for other people. And I was like, no, I, I think it's insane, you know, for anyone. And she said, why? And I said, well, first of all, it just seems doomed. You know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's just first marriages, by the way. Second marriages, 60 to 62% end in divorce. Third marriages, 70 to 75% end in divorce. That's a learning curve. We're as committed to each other as any married couple. We live together. We love each other. I ignore it when you eat popsicles by biting them with your teeth, which is insane. Let's get married, like every other idiot on Earth. Me need a piece of paper to know how I feel. I realized a long time ago that weddings aren't about love. They're just a giant industry that preys on gender stereotypes to make adult women spend a ton of money and act like selfish children. Second of all, monogamy is impossible, or at very least, not a sure thing. When I say that, I think people assume that I'm implying that men are incapable of being faithful. But I think women are just as incapable, but for more sophisticated reasons. When's our culture going to outgrow this wedding thing? Look, I can't get behind this marriage thing either. It was invented back when till death meant till you're first cold. I mean, life's too long to spend it with someone else. It's a sucker's game. It's a mutual cop-out. I mean, just die alone. Number three. <laughs> I'm never going to be happy. Why would anyone want to be a part of that? I think that's not brought up often enough. I, uh... <laughs> I didn't know that would be the reaction. Oh, no, that's the hopeful part. <laughs> There's something paradoxical about the way that our society relates to marriage. Because on the one hand, you have these, the, the constant kind of jokes and the bashing of marriage like we, we see in these clips. And, and for the record, uh, like the comedian, I was familiar with that before. The other two clips, uh, I didn't go searching for them. Those are just like, they happen to be clips that I saw in the past couple of weeks. And in, in another TV show, I saw another clip that gave a very similar rant just last night. And I bet if you watched any of your shows long enough, you'd find a similar rant against marriage in these shows because there's this, this kind of growing sense that, you know, we've evolved past marriage and, uh, right, it's this idea that marriage is, is also settling down. Like, you, re- you get to have fun and then eventually you give up on having fun anymore and that's when you get married. Uh, and, you know, there are jokes made about this and people kind of belittle marriage and it's pretty common. And, you know, that's all happening on the one hand. On the other hand, people keep getting married, 
right? Like, and it's not just the people that you expect to get married. Like, if you've been around long enough, you probably have that friend that, like, back in college, you're like, I'm never going to get married, single for life, you idiots, you do you. Uh, and then you went to that guy's wedding. <laughs> like, you ate the chicken, it was dry, and then you did the macarena and you moved on. Uh, but, like, even those people end up getting married. In fact, I, I looked it up, and the, the actors and the comedian uh, in the, the video clip that we just saw, Mike Birbiglia has been married for 12 years. Liz Lemon, or Tina Fey, whatever her real name is, 18 years, and Joel McHale, 23 years, which in like Hollywood standards is an eternity, right? And all of them on their first marriage, happily married. And yet the jokes about marriage persist because there's, there's something about it that we can't as a society really wrap our minds around it. We struggle with the idea of marriage because it's, it's an enigma to us. It's a, a paradox, or as, as the scriptures say, it's a, a profound mystery. This is actually what the Bible says about marriage. In uh, Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul, he actually starts with a quote from the very first wedding sermon back in Genesis 2. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He says, This is a profound mystery. Marriage is a profound mystery, and as we continue in our uh, Storm Toss series today, we're going to be looking at this profound mystery that we call marriage, and why, why God created it to begin with, and then how we, if you're, you're married or if you're plan on pursuing marriage, how we can endure the storms that are inevitably going to come into our marriage. And even if you're not married, I encourage you to, to tune in as well, because we want to be able to reshape the discourse about marriage, not just in the world around, but even, even specifically in the church. Because even in the church, some of the ideas about marriage have gotten really, really confused. And so we're going to dive into this because there is a tension in society about marriage. And I think this tension is in large part because marriage is unnatural. All right? So the critics who say, the critics of marriage who say, you know, a, a person, a, a human being committing themselves to one other human being in a monogamous loving relationship for the rest of their life, that's unnatural. They're not wrong. All right? And, and some of the singles in the room are like, I knew it. Yes, you crazy married people. Uh, but marriage is unnatural. And, and we should be okay with that, right? Because not everything in nature is worth pursuing, right? Like, we shouldn't be using nature as the standard to which we want to strive. Like, take dolphins, for instance, all right? Cute, adorable dolphins with their smiles and their super, like, intelligence and their social creatures. These lovable dolphins regularly practice violent gang like, that's part of their normal life. Like, that's how they do life, and they don't have a problem with it. That's nature. That's natural. Not only do dolphins practice that, they also practice infanticide, where they will routinely just kill their children because it's Tuesday. And I know some of you might have been tempted to kill your children <laughs> on a Tuesday, but you didn't, right? But the dolphins, they do what's natural and actually just discard their children. Nature isn't exactly something that we're going, we want to pursue as the ideal, right? And marriage is unnatural. Who here is married currently? All right, it's a, it's a good portion of you. Uh, if you're married, if you're sitting next to your spouse, I want you to, I want you to look into the eyes of your spouse right now. Just 
make eye contact, stare deeply into each other's souls. And then I want you to say to each other, what we're doing is unnatural. <laughs> I, I, no, you, you didn't do it. All right. Uh, serious. You say, what we're doing is unnatural. I want to hear you. All right, because marriage, marriage is not natural, and that's okay, because you know what else is not natural? Love. Love, and, and the love that we crave, the love that we write stories and songs and sonnets about, the love, like our, our society is obsessed with love. We love love as a society, but the love that we love is not natural. It's not something that occurs in nature, that we just go out and we see this happening in other life forms. Love is not natural, right? And, and if you've ever been to a wedding, you've uh, probably been familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It's often referred to as the love chapter, and it's read at like every wedding. Even if it's not a Christian wedding, they read 1 Corinthians 13 at the wedding. And this is Paul's famous definition and like discourse as he defines love all right, and he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, and it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Amen to that, right? Love never fails. Like, that's an idea that I can get behind. Like, that's something that moves me. I want to strive for a, a love that never fails, right? But at the same time, my experience tell me, tells me that love fails pretty regularly, right? Especially by this definition that we've been given, right? He says love is patient, but we see parents losing their patience with their children all the time. He says love is kind, and yet we see the marginalized people groups in our society trampled on and treated cruelly, right? It says it doesn't envy, and yet we see girlfriends who are envious and jealous, and we see boyfriends that are, are boastful and proud and arrogant and cruel, and it says it doesn't honor, dishonor others, and yet we, we hear wives dishonoring their husbands, and we see children who are self-absorbed, and we see husbands who just lose their temper at the drop of a hat, right? And, and, and get this, we even see dolphins keeping records of wrong. All right, I came across this article in the Atlantic, all right? If you insulted a dolphin 20 years ago, he's probably still bitter about it today because apparently research shows that dolphins can remember individuals and they can remember what you did even over decades and they keep a record of wrong. So even dolphins, right, as we look to nature, we see that even dolphins are keeping a record of wrong, nonetheless, you and, and me as well because that is natural. And as much as I would love to say that love never fails, it feels more accurate to say that love regularly fails, especially by this definition. We see love failing all around us. And this is in large part because love isn't happening in a vacuum. Love is great and it's wonderful and it's beautiful, but it's not happening in a vacuum. None of our relationships take place in a, a safe, insulated environment. There are forces in the world that are working against our love. And I want to look at a couple of these forces. The, the first one is the curse. Because the Bible has an explanation why something as is, is beautiful and powerful as love could be rendered unnatural. And it, it comes in the very beginning. We see that God created the world and it was good. 
and there was harmony, and there was mutual affection, and there was love. That was, that was natural. And he created the first human beings, Adam and Eve, and it says that they were naked and unashamed. Like, think of that, being completely exposed and completely unashamed at the same time. But humanity, in our hubris, we decided to reject God and rebel against God, and then we, with that came guilt and shame. And then on top of that, God pronounced curses over the world. In Romans 8, we're told that these curses, the the purpose of them was to to frustrate the world. So God nailed it because I don't know about you, but life can be frustrating. Like he did a good job with his curses. Uh, And so life is now frustrating in a lot of ways. But one of the specific curses he pronounced over Eve, he said this to her. He says, you will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. You, all right, you will want to control him and manipulate him and and make him into what you want him to be. And he's going to dominate you and he's going to control you and manipulate you and turn you into what he wants you to be. And and this is now the new nature. It's what scripture calls our sin nature. So when you and your spouse are fighting and arguing with each other, that is natural. You're acting out your nature right? When you or your spouse, when you're trying to like manipulate each other and like use guilt and shame to kind of poke and prod and control one another, that's not unusual. That is natural because of the curse that it actually infects each of us. And, and as we talk about this, you might be thinking like, oh yes, my spouse does suffer from that uh, awful ailment. Uh, this is not just about your spouse. This is you. This is me. We all are under this curse of sin, where conflict is the new natural and where love is no longer a natural thing. It's not something that flows from us naturally, right? And now there's a second force at work as well, all right? So there's the curse, but there's a second force, and it's a super powerful force in our relationships. And a lot of times we overlook it. We don't really think about it as a force, but it is so powerful that it, it can level mountains. It can erase entire civilizations. There is no storm in life that will be able to stand up against this. J.R.R. Tolkien, he, he says it this way about this force. He says, this thing all things uh, devours, birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays kings, ruins towns, beats high mountain down. Any uh, Tolkien fans? Can anybody tell us what this force is? Any guesses? Time. You were in the first service. (laughs) Time. Exactly. Time is a super powerful force that is at work in our relationships, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Uh, Just last weekend, Lindsay and I were celebrating our sixth wedding anniversary. Yay for me. Uh, I, now, just so you know, the irony isn't lost on me that I've, like, I'm, I'm new at this. I've been married for six years, and I'm trying to tell other people how to live in their marriages, which is why I'm trying the best of my ability to tell you what Scripture says and not my own thoughts, all right? But we were, we were celebrating our anniversary and reminiscing over the years, and one of the, the things that came up as we were talking was that, uh, like, this time eight years ago, right, October of 2011, we didn't even know each other existed. Like, we were strangers living on opposite sides of the country, and we didn't even know the other existed. And now she's the mother of my child. Like, time did that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's worth celebrating. But time, time has this power to take complete strangers and turn them into the best of friends and lovers, right? But time also has the power to take the best of friends and lovers and turn them into complete strangers, And when you combine the the force 
of the, the curse, right? The curse of sin with the ticking of time. You could see that when, we, when we're going to fight this battle to love one another, it's an uphill battle, right? There are some serious forces working against us. Because if it's one of them, maybe, but both of them combined, like, like I could muster up some strength and I could, I could love Lindsay and I could be patient with her and I could be, uh, be kind and humble and selfless. And I can do all of those things listed in 1 Corinthians 13 for a moment, <laughs> right? And then the next moment's going to come, and that's a whole new ballgame every time, right? So we, we can maybe push past the curse in these, these isolated moments, but when you combine it with time, you start thinking, how am I going to push past the curse in every single moment? You see that... We're, we're, what we're facing as we try to br- build a love that never fails, we are fighting an uphill battle. And if it is God's desire to develop in us this unfailing love, this supernatural kind of love, right? If, if that's his goal, then we're going to need a supernatural framework to help us, right? Because I, I imagine this, like, Imagine trying to love your spouse the same, with the same amount of love in every situation. Right? It, it's one thing for me to love Lindsay when I, I come home and she's in a good mood and she made dinner and she gives me a beer and she rubs my feet and she showers me with affirmations and compliments. and like To love her the, the way I do in that moment and to love her the same exact way in the same depth in a moment when, like, I come home and she's cranky and she's frustrated with her day and she's annoyed with me and she's, like, is mean and biting at me or whatever. Like, to love her the same way in both of those moments, that's, that's a very different thing, right? Or, or for me to love her when, like, I had a really good night's sleep and I wake up refreshed and work was good and, uh, and I come home and, like, traffic was a breeze, like, all of that. And to love her that way, but to love her that same way, Right, that that the way I love her then to love her the same way, when I I get no sleep and now I'm the cranky one and work is frustrating and it seems like the whole world just like woke up that day and said how can we annoy Trevor today and then to go home and then to love her in the same way. These are this is a, a difficult challenge, but this is what we're talking about when we talk about an unfailing love. An unfailing love doesn't waver from moment to moment. Right? We have a, a term for this. We call it unconditional love. Unconditional love. It w- means that the conditions, the environment, and the, the things around us don't actually shape the love. The love remains the same no matter what the conditions are. This is not natural. This is not natural. Because of the curse of sin and the ticking of time, this is not natural. But it's not less than natural. It's beyond natural. It is supernatural. This is a supernatural love. And God wants to develop in you a supernatural love. And in order to do that, he gave you a supernatural framework. Because marriage is not natural, but it's not less than natural. It's beyond natural. It is a supernatural framework God gave you to help stretch your love so that it can actually become a supernatural, unfailing love. This is what Jesus says about marriage. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. This is that same sermon from Genesis 2, wedding sermon. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, who? Who is this? Who's working? 
God, right? Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. What God has joined together. So this isn't, this isn't a natural union. This isn't a man-made union. This is a divine union. This is a supernatural union. And it says that nothing can separate it, not even time. So because God is invested in us and he wants to develop in us a supernatural love that is able to push past the curse and transcend the ticking of time, he gave us a supernatural framework. It's like a, a scaffolding, right? A supernatural scaffolding to help you build a supernatural love. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he says, it's not your love that sustains your marriage, but from now on, the marriage that sustains your love. And I, I remember reading this years ago, and it, it gripped me. It still grips me today. It's probably one of the most uh, important things I've read on the idea of marriage. It shaped marriage before I was married and even into my marriage. This idea that it is, it's not my love that sustains the marriage. It's the marriage that's actually sustaining my love and stretching my love and pushing it to new depths. And we, we see this clearly communicated throughout Scripture. Because over and over and over again, the command is for husbands to love their wives and wives to love their husbands. Right? And it, this command, the fact that a husband is commanded to love his wife and a wife is commanded to love his husband, it communicates that it's not the, the love that determines the relationship status. It's the relationship status that it demands the love, right? There would be, it, 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 imagine this, all right? Imagine this. You, back when you were dating, do we actually have anybody who's like dating right now? Oh, you guys, you guys are adorable. Uh, so these are dating couples. Right now, right now, your, your relationship is sustained by how you feel about each other, all right? And if at some point the love that you have for each other, and I'm not saying that you guys are in love with each other, I don't know where you're at, and you know, he definitely didn't say the L word, did he? Uh, anyway. uh, <laughs> but it, right now, the, the, it's the, how you feel about each other is what sustains that relationship. And for all of us who are married, there was a time in our, our lives where we were dating our spouse, and in that time of dating, it was how we felt about each other that sustained the relationship. But eventually, we got to that place where we said, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, and I, I want to commit myself to love you for the rest of my life. And in that moment, in that moment, we, we cross this threshold, so no longer is it how we feel about the other person that sustains the relationship. It's the reverse, that this commitment to love each other as, as a husband and wife, this vow that we make, it actually, this now sustains our love and pushes it to new heights, new heights and new depths. So that now, if you're, if you're married and at some point your love starts to grow cold, doesn't mean the relationship is, devolved, you're, is dissolved. You're still husband and wife, and the command is still there for husbands to love their wives. You see, Scripture anticipates, Scripture anticipates that husbands and wives, that their love will grow cold, right? Because it would never give the command for a husband to love his wife if it expected husbands to naturally do that. But it gives this command because it's trying to stretch our love beyond what is, is natural, beyond its normal limits, right? And, and for some, they think of this as like a straitjacket. It's like, oh, I fell out of love, but I'm stuck in this marriage. And they view it as a straitjacket. But it's not a straitjacket. It's like a, a personal trainer. Like you go to the gym, right? And if you go by yourself, 
you are going to, you know, do your sets and you're going to, you know, run your miles and everything like that. And when you get tired, you're going to stop. But you know it's different when you have like a personal trainer with you or a coach and you're there and you're, you're kind of, you feel like you're at your max. You feel like you can't go any farther. You can't push one more rep out. And they say, no, you can and you will. And they push you and you do it. In that moment, you become stronger. And marriage is for us, it's this personal trainer that when we feel like our love can't stretch any farther, we look to our marriage and the vows that we make and we, we make this decision, I can and I will choose to love even in this moment. And it's not just about enduring. It's not just about like staying together. It's about actively loving each other. Russell Moore, he says, it doesn't mean simply sexual fidelity, although it does of course mean that, but a fidelity to actively love each other no matter the cost as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, right? In the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, we are to actively love our spouses. This is why God gave us marriage as this, this uh, support this framework, this supernatural framework to push your love beyond its natural limits to become something supernatural and to, an, uh, to be actually become an unfailing love that doesn't just love when your spouse is lovable, right? Even a child can love someone or something that is lovable. But when you, when you see that your spouse is not lovely and not lovable and you choose to love them, that's a, a wholly different love. Right? Anybody can love somebody sometimes, but to choose to love them every time, this is what marriage offers us. Right? Anybody can love somebody at any given moment, but to choose somebody to love somebody at every given moment, this, this is what marriage offers us. I wanna I wanna illustrate this. I need a, a married couple, uh, preferably one sitting near this aisle. Uh, any any volunteers? I will volunteer somebody. Uh, uh, are you pointing at Eric and Carolyn? Oh, okay, yeah, Eric and Carolyn. There you go. You just got, a all right. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, huh? No, just the two. Just, huh? yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, come on up, come on up, come on up. Uh, how long have you guys been married? 20 years. Wow, give them a hand, 20 years. Yeah, come on up. <clears throat> See, this is uh, God's ideal for marriage is that marriage will be sustaining our love and stretching it. But unfortunately, this isn't what we, we see uh, in society or even in the church very often because what we've done is we, we have traded in God's ideal for marriage and his ideal to, to be this place where our love is stretched and it grows. And we've traded God's ideal for marriage for our ideal marriage. And our ideal marriage is that place where we find the perfect perfect spouse, just like Carolyn right here, the perfect spouse who does everything perfectly and all the conditions are perfect and our needs are being met. And, and we, we look for this ideal marriage, right? But there's a problem with that, all right? So here, uh, I want you guys to, here, come stand on either side of this uh, and grab both corners there. See, what our ideal marriage looks like is it, it looks like that moment when you are most in love. Do you guys like remember some of those moments where it was just bliss, right? When, when Lindsay and I have those moments where we routinely just say, let's just stay here. Like nobody will miss us. Let's just stay in this moment, right? And the ideal marriage, all right, what we want to do in our ideal marriage is we want to we take that moment, that moment of blissful love, and we want to stretch that moment over our lifetime. 
all right? And so we, we cling to this moment. So really grab onto it. Cling to this moment, all right? But the problem with a moment is that by definition, it's finite. It's going to come to an end. You can't stretch a moment on for a lifetime, right? And so before you know it, something's going to happen. Storms will come that are going to disrupt this moment, all right? So the husband, the husband loses his job. All right, and, and now it puts this financial strain on, on the family and on the wife, and this is not the situation that she signed up for when they got married, and so you could take a step this way. You could take a, yep, yep, and then uh, over here, uh, the wife, not, not Carolyn, all right, she just kind of represents the wife. Uh, so the wife, not Carolyn, uh, the wife, she happens, not Carolyn, the wife happens to maybe put on a few pounds, not Carolyn, the wife <laughs> puts on a few pounds, all right, uh, and all of a sudden, the wife is no longer, you know, the, the beauty that Eric married, the husband married, because this is not Eric and Carolyn, they're a representative of husband and wife. Uh, so, you know, and so now, now, you know, you're taking a step this way, because the moment is again changing, but you're not willing to let go of this moment, because you're clinging to this ideal, this moment. You want to stretch this out as long as you can, but life keeps changing, and there's things that you do, and there's things that are done to you guys that keep challenging this moment. And so you keep pulling and pulling and pulling and pull. Pull as hard as you can. Pull as hard as you can. And eventually, the moment, it, it gets ripped out of your hands, right? And, and it ends in heartache. And whether that means uh, it ends, the relationship itself ends, or you settle for something less than God's ideal, where it's just, just kind of your roommates, and there's no more love, there's no more passion in that relationship. Or, or maybe you're, you're together, but you're just fighting all the time. And it's because you, you've clung to this ideal of trying to keep this moment alive. But it's a, a false ideal, and it puts too much pressure on the spouse and it puts too much pressure on yourself, and it puts too much pressure on the situation, a pressure that can never live up to it. And as a result, we see marriages, it, it, the, the love in marriage is failing left and right. But God's ideal for marriage isn't to take a moment and stretch it on for the rest of our lives. Instead, God's ideal for marriage is to take your love. This is your love. You need to grab a corner there. And this is the love that you started with. When you first met, you first fell in love, all right? And this is the love that you had. And what God wants to do is he doesn't want to stretch a moment out over the rest of your lives. He wants to take your love, and he wants to stretch that love over every moment, all right? And so, you know, you started, things were good, but then, then you lost your job. And so you had to take a step this way, and you didn't put on any weight. You know, you, you took a step this way, and then, you know, but then th there's another challenge that came your way, and you, you take a step farther, and you see that it, it's right out in front of you right now, but you have this choice, right, as you cling to this. You look at these new moments that came through the storms of life, and you actually get to make a decision, all right, that you're going to take that love that's in your hands, and you are going to stretch it over this new moment. And every new moment that comes your way, the good ones and the bad ones, you have this choice to take your love and say, I'm going to stretch my love over this new moment. And you keep pulling farther and farther because there's going to be more and more moments and more and more challenges. And before you know it, your love has actually grown to something so much bigger than you started with. It's actually grown into an unfailing love, a supernatural kind of love, a love that looks a lot like the way that Jesus loves us. And that is the call that we've been given. Husbands, love your wives just as, say this with me, just as. 
And so by routinely making this decision, I'm going to love my spouse in this hard moment, and I'm going to give myself up for my spouse. It's a choice, making this ongoing choice in this moment, this new moment. I'm going to let my love be stretched out more and more and more. And now it starts to look like the love of Jesus as his arms were stretched out on that cross for you and as he bled and died for you, not because you deserved it, not because you made him feel warm and tingly inside, not because you were lovely. In fact, we're told that we were, we were like enemies of him. And in that moment, he chose, all right? It wasn't easy. It didn't, didn't happen to him. He chose to take his love and stretch it over you. And as you, in your marriages, you, you take this opportunity, you see the storms of life, and you don't run from them. You don't just try to fix them. You actually say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my love. I'm going to stretch it over these difficult moments. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable, but neither was the cross, right? It's not going to be easy, but it's good. And in the end, you get to look and you get to see over the course of your lifetime how your love has grown into something supernatural and beautiful. And it, it actually becomes a picture of the gospel, right? Marriage in this way, when it's done this way, when we're pursuing God's ideal for marriage, it actually becomes a, a picture. It reveals the mystery of the gospel. Tim Keller, he puts it this way. On the one hand, the experience of marriage, all right, the experience of marriage will unveil the beauty and the depth of the gospel to you. In that moment, I, I know if you're anything like me, there are times where it's hard for me to, to wrap my mind around the fact that God loves me, all right, even when I'm unlovable. Like, it's a nice idea, but to experience the reality. But when you, when you are in that place where you don't want to love your spouse, right? And this has never happened to me, of course. Uh, my spouse is perfect. But in those moments when your spouse is least lovable, when it's hardest to love them, and you choose, in this moment, I'm going to stretch my love over top of this, we get a picture. We get a, just the slightest glimpse of what it looked like for Jesus to choose to love us when we were unlovable. And so it becomes this, uh, this way of understanding the depth of the gospel. And he says it will drive you further into reliance on it. And he says, on the other hand, a greater understanding of the gospel, if you look to Jesus, it will help you experience deeper and deeper union with each other as the years go on. You guys have been here holding this stretched out, and it's not easy. You're getting tired because time will come. The moments will change, and it's not easy. And I don't know where you're at in your marriage today. Some of you, your marriage might be awesome. Others of you, your marriage is on the rocks, and you don't know if it's going to make it to the end of the week. I don't know where you're at in your marriage, but this thing I, this I do know, and this I can promise you, that if you choose to, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you choose to, you can choose to love your spouse in this moment. You can, you can make that decision, and you can go back to 1 Corinthians 13. You can look at the list, and you can fi figure out what's missing from my love. And you can say, I'm going to choose to add this to my love in this moment, and the power of the Holy Spirit will enable you to actually do that. And you can choose that in the next moment, in the next moment, in the next moment, not, not because it's what you want to do or because it, it feels good, but because because you've made this promise before God and man, and you've entered into this unnatural, supernatural union called marriage, and it's a place where your love gets to grow and be stretched and become something truly amazing, an unfailing love that becomes a picture of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for loving us in this way. God, it's amazing to think that you 
you would choose to love us at such great cost to yourself. And Father, we thank you for not only loving us, but giving us marriage, this gift to our love. And I, I pray for each of us that we will pursue your ideal for marriage. And we won't see the storms of life as obstacles that crush our love, but instead we'll see the storms that come our way as opportunities for our love to be stretched a little bit farther, become a little bit bigger, that they look like the love of Jesus poured out on us. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.